0: Amen. We have been going through the last several weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, and today I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit and His guidance in our lives. We've talked about discernment. We've talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Um, and the Holy Spirit does a lot more than what we've been talking about, and just give me some time and I'll get to it. But uh, as a Pentecostal church, the Holy Spirit, and it's a little bit more of the demonstrative stuff, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues and the you know running of the aisles, the outward expressions, sort of speak, of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I grew up in that, I get it. but there's also some very practical things that the Holy Spirit uh, affords us in, in, in our relationship with Him. And so uh, I don't want to focus too much on the outward demonstrative. I really want us to focus more. I really feel like the Lord would have us to focus more on the practical things that the Holy Spirit The person of the Holy Spirit in his relationship with us can help us with. And so I hope this has been a help to you. And I hope it's been a help for those who've been watching from from home. But this uh, today is talking about his guidance. And I feel like we just need to talk how the Holy Spirit guides us and orders our steps. Uh, In the book of Genesis, we're introduced to a man named Abram. A-B-R-A-M. You probably think I'm mispronouncing that, but I'm not. He started out as Abram. He eventually, God changed his name to Abraham. And so Abram was doing fine. He was about 75 years old and he was living in a land uh, doing quite well. He was wealthy. He was well known. He had a, established himself in that country that he was living. But God told him in Genesis 12:1 these words. He says, leave your country, leave your people and leave your father's household and go to the land where I will show you. Now, what God didn't say is go to Canaan. He didn't say go to Canaan. You know, some place in specific. He says, leave, pull up all stakes and go to a place that I'll show you. In other words, you get going and I'll point you in that direction and finally tell you when you get get there that you're there. That's faith right there, isn't it? So yeah. Now God also included this instruction with a powerful promise that I just prayed through a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3. This is where this promise came from. God said to to a great nation I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you have we seen this play out have we seen this actually come to pass absolutely because through Abraham through his lineage we are blessed with the person of Jesus Christ so at 75 years old, Abram obeyed God. He pulled up stakes. He packed up the, uh, whatever a U-Haul was back then. He loaded up his wife, he loaded up his relatives, and he loaded up his servants, and he set up in obedience to God's direction. As I said, God eventually changed his name from Abram. Abram means exalted father, but God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And over the course of time, God established his lineage in what we now know as modern day Israel. And through him that's through Jesus Christ. Now there's a whole lot of water underneath that bridge. And we can always see hindsight being 2020 as well, yeah. I'm glad Abraham did that. I mean, he should have done that because look what happened, right? But at the time, Abram didn't know that, he just was obedient to God. And we can see that Abram had to have it had to at, at the very least had to be this a huge inconvenience. And at the very most, it had to be a very dangerous and risky undertaking. Think about it. He left his home and his, let, took his entourage, and there was no uh, you know, rest stops along the way. There was no hotels. There was no, I'm going to get back to my Southern California roots, there was no Stuckies. I mean, you know what a Stuckies is, Right. Yeah, there was no places to stop and get one of those little pecan logs, you know, and just kind of refresh it. There's no truck stop somewhere where you can just kind of get, you know, there was no (laughs) buckies. There was was nothing there. You just went out there and said, all right, Lord, here I am. Abram obediently doing what God told him to do. There's a key to this, and it's called obedience. Write that down. We're going to come back to that. Let me give you another example in the New Testament, Acts chapter 8. We read of a man named Philip. He was one of the disciples of Christ. And he was having a gangbusters revival in the area called Samaria. Now, Samaria was a place that uh, was not necessarily embraced by the Jews. They were, Samarians were considered half-breeds, rejects, kind of, they shunned them. But there, Philip was, and God was pouring out His Spirit. There was mighty things going on as Philip was preaching the gospel Demons were being cast out. Healings were taking place. And the entire city, the Bible describes, was filled with great joy in all that God was doing through Philip. But in the midst of this mighty revival and move of God, an angel of the Lord told Philip something very peculiar and would think would happen. He told Philip to leave this mighty revival and all that God was doing and head down not just any road but a desert road. A desert road. When you think about a desert road, I think about places uh, in, the, in the southwest where you can go for hundreds of miles and see nothing but those cactus that look like this. And a horny toad every once in a while will run across, but there is nothing there. I mean nothing. So there it was, and parts of Israel are that way. And there he was headed down a desert road. And so he did. He went uh, to, um, to go down this desert road, and we know now... That it was to meet again. Hindsight being twenty twenty, he was meeting this Ethiopian official, but Philip didn't know it when he set out. He just said, "The Holy Spirit, the angel just said go," and Philip said, "Okay." But there was this man and this Ethiopian uh, official. He was reading from Isaiah, of Isaiah, and he was the treasurer of Queen Candace, and Queen Candace was the queen over the entire country of Ethiopia. Now think about it. Acts 8.29 says it this way. It says, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip, in this desert road, here's this Ethiopian eunuch reading out of the book of Isaiah. (laughs) Kind of hard to miss, I would imagine. And the Holy Spirit said specifically, go and just stand near that chariot. And so we read the rest of the story in Acts chapter 8. You can read it later, but I'll give you the synopsis of it. That as Philip was able to interact with this man... He eventually introduced this man to Jesus. This Ethiopian eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship God, but he was not aware of who Jesus was. And so Philip gave him uh, uh, the revelation of the Messiah. And then he was able to introduce him not only to Jesus, but he also baptized him. And this official, a follower of God, became a follower now of Christ. He went from impacting a city to impacting an entire country for the gospel. He traded the city for the country. He didn't know it beforehand, but God had a plan. And God knew exactly what he was doing. And the Holy Spirit directed Philip to do so. But it all started, again, with Philip obediently doing what God told him to do. Obedience. There it is again. So today I want us to look at our relationship with the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit and how he guides us. In every decision, the big ones... And the small ones, and really every decision in between, every decision that we make, every step that we take, it's so very important that we learn how to identify, to listen to, and to obey the Holy Spirit's voice. I'll say it again. Identify, then we listen to, and then we obey. That's our part in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because God has a job for us to do in his business. So what is the business of God? I've said this before. Hopefully you remember it. Somebody say it out loud. Say it again. What's God's business? Say it one more time. I think everybody knows the answer now. What's God's business? It's souls for the kingdom. That's God's business. Walmart's business is to sell groceries and other stuff, right? You go get an oil change. Their business is to do oil change for your car. God's business is souls. And we're employees in this business, right? We're the workers in his field. We're the ones that he sent out. And he places us where we can serve him the best and be the most effective for his kingdom. The Bible describes Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus actually even spoke of himself in this way. In John 10, 27, he says, my sheep, listen to my voice. This is Jesus talking. He says, I know them and they follow me. You see that relationship that's there? my voice you know my voice and now you follow me it implies that there's some instructions there's some guidance that's going on there and we as sheep follow that direction that guidance that instruction even one of the most popular familiar scriptures in the bible that we all know without even having to turn to it psalm 23 the lord is described as a shepherd verses one through three it says the lord is my shepherd say it with me i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? Isn't that good to know? He's our shepherd that guides us. He leads us along the way. A shepherd, by the way, the job and the, the, the description of a shepherd is one who lovingly and carefully goes in front of his flock. A shepherd never drives his sheep. Cattle workers, or whatever you want to steal, ranchers, cattle ranchers, they, they drive their cattle. They get behind them and they drive them. Shepherds get in front of the sheep and lead them. He leads them. He guides them. He protects them from dangers. He protects them from cliffs. He protects them from wild animals. He leads them to shady places, as we read in Psalm 23. He leads them to green pastures. He leads them to refreshing brooks. How many is thankful for those things? You see, when Jesus said he was going away, he would send a helper. We've read through that many times over the last several weeks. He described the Holy Spirit as a helper. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit, which represents Christ in every conceivable way. Everything you need to know about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will tell you about him. Represents him to the letter. Jesus is. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to guide us. He tells us what God's will is for us. He orders our steps for protection and provision and fruitfulness in him. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us. We have opportunities daily to walk according to his will for our lives, but I'm concerned though, church, This is where my concern is today, that too often we go our own way because we allow our thoughts and our emotions and our circumstances, our thoughts, our emotions, and the outside circumstances to to determine our steps rather than listening to obeying the voice of the Lord, identifying it, listening to it, and obeying the voice of the Lord. And when we make choices based on our thoughts and based on our emotions and based on our circumstances, too often we fall out of God's perfect will for our lives and take unnecessary detours that make things much harder for us. So I ask a question to you this morning. How many would like to live in God's perfect will for your lives? Right? And for the rest of right, all of us should desire to live (laughs) in God's perfect will for our lives. And we can remain in that sweet spot more often than not, by the way, if we apply these instructions the Holy Spirit will be giving us to us today. So I want us to start today's journey by turning to Acts chapter 16. We're going to visit verse 6 through 10. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. Paul and his companions were traveling through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, And it says here, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, there's a guidance thing, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia or Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to as well. So there's the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't go in Bithynia. So they passed by Mycia and went down to Troas. Now, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there's a guidance that's going on there. Let me ask you this. Now the apostle Paul was passionately preaching the gospel everywhere, correct? He, just, he was just wanting to go wherever the Holy Spirit would lead him to let everyone know of the good news. And he and his companions had it in their plans to go to Asia Minor, which we now know as Turkey. He wanted to go to the area, uh, the country of Turkey. And then he wanted to go to Bithynia. But the Holy Spirit said no to both places. Instead, he led them to Macedonia where God... Uh, Use them mightily to preach the gospel. So let me just kind of get some clarity to this because these are funny sounding names, aren't they? These cities and places. So he in relation to them, it's as if the Holy Spirit would say to you today, don't go to Atlanta. But I want to go to Atlanta. No, don't go to Atlanta. Okay, well then I'm going to go to Raleigh. The Holy Spirit says, no, don't go to Raleigh. I want to go to Raleigh, but I don't need you to go to Raleigh right now. So don't go to Atlanta. Don't go to Raleigh. What I do want you to do is I do want you to go to Columbia. That's what was going on with Paul and his entourage. Now, does Atlanta need the gospel? Sure. Does Raleigh need the gospel? Of course. There's people there that need Jesus. But the Holy Spirit sees the big picture and he wants you to go to Columbia. Does the Columbia need the gospel? Of course, but there's something through you that God wants to do specifically. That's what was going on with Paul and his group. It's not a matter of the gospel not being preached in Atlanta or Raleigh, because Jesus said in Matthew twenty four, fourteen, and this gospel the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the gospel needs to be preached in Atlanta, Raleigh, wherever. It's God's will and plan for the good news of Jesus Christ to be preached everywhere. But God has a specific task. God has a specific assignment for each of us. And each of us has these unique talents, these unique backgrounds in our lives, these unique connections, these unique passions, these unique personality traits. And we all have an important contribution to make to God's kingdom, but it's also to specifically where he would have us to be. Because you see, God has the master plan. If you're looking at it, God has this blueprint. And the Holy Spirit has been sent as the on-site supervisor. And he's telling us, he's coordinating all the moving parts, the Holy Spirit is. And the people need to make sure that the whole works. He's he's making sure to maximize the effectiveness of God's overall plan. You see these on-site supervisors who said, I need you to take care of that. And you group of workers go over there. Because he knows the big picture. He has the master plan. And he's simply supervising us. To maximize our effectiveness for God's kingdom. So why did the Holy Spirit keep Paul and his team from Asia Minor and Bithynia? I don't know. It could have been timing. It could have been personality. It could have been his style. It could have been a number of things. You can just try to guess guess what it is. It doesn't really say. But the Holy Spirit knew. And the Holy Spirit had his reasons. So as you can see, Paul and the rest didn't argue or complain or do what they wanted to do anyway. They... Yielded, they trusted, and they put their personal preferences aside, and what they thought made sense to them, and they simply obeyed. Now, I want to give you an example. Kelly and I, when we first started out in ministry in 1989 as uh, worship pastors, went to a church in Anderson, South Carolina, and leaders there, and we stayed there for two years, and. Uh, and for various reasons, we felt like we needed to leave after two years. So we met with a pastor. By the way, he's still a wonderful friend of ours. Some of you may know him. In fact, he preached here a couple of years ago, Rick Collins. How many of you knows Rick Collins? Some of you may. And, uh, and we told him of our decision, and he listened as we shared very graciously, but then he, uh, then he made a comment. He says, guys, this just doesn't feel right. This just doesn't seem right. Um, now of course we were free to make our decision as we felt best, but his counsel to us proved to be accurate because for the next three years we did leave, and for the next three years or so, we went from God's perfect will to his acceptable will. Not a comfortable place to be, I promise you. We remained in ministry, but it was a tough season of learning and growing. First started out. We stepped away from what he designed for us during that season into a bit of a wilderness experience. So thankful that God's still with us in our wilderness. God taught us a lot in that wilderness experience, an awful lot. We wouldn't trade it for anything, but we wouldn't want to go through it again. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. You see, what happened is we allowed our emotions, our thoughts, and our circumstances to guide our decisions. We were young and immature in those ways. Looking back on it, we didn't have a peace in our hearts when we stepped away. And there was nothing wrong with the church, by the way. There was nothing wrong with the people there. There was nothing wrong with the pastor. There was nothing wrong with the community. We're still good friends with many of them from there. We just allowed other things other than the Holy Spirit to determine our choices. And it wasn't until we accepted the position three years later in Tallahassee, Florida, that we felt like we were back in God's perfect will again. There was just something there. You just knew. You just had a peace in your heart again. Like, yeah, okay, here's God, and here we are. We've been able to apply this season in our lives in many ways over the years to be more careful, less emotional, uh, or circumstance-driven, or really even overthinking things, and to be more in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us. Now, the fact is, is that we're all emotional people. We're all people who think. We all deal with some frustrations and we all sometimes are confused in our circumstances. Guess what that's called? It's called life. And it's called being a human being. And it all comes with the package of breathing and getting up every morning and going forward with our day. But I'm so thankful, church, that there's help. Amen? God knows how these things can cloud our vision and create confusion instead of clarity of the Holy Spirit. Would you just say, thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit? Would you say that right now? Just thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's the, the, the Lord has given us His Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. So thankful for the Holy Spirit, church. He's our helper. He guides us. He helps us push aside the peripheral of the circumstances and emotions and our thoughts, and instead... He helps us make decisions that are spirit-led and more in line with God's perfect plan for our lives. Amen? Let's look to the Old Testament. I want to read to you another story found in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the story of Elijah, the story of God's guidance and help in his life. We're going to read starting in verse 1, 13 verses. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, by the way, Ahab and Jezebel were not uh, Mr. Rogers and his wife, okay? They were not good people, alright? These were awful people. Jezebel, his wife, they had a lot of authority, and they were evil, wicked people. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets at the sword. You'll have to go back to the chapters before that to read how God cleaned uh, the false prophets' clocks, and showed up in a very powerful way. So Jezebel was just so happy with that and said, good job, Elijah. No, (laughs) just the opposite. It says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. How'd you like to have that threat hanging over you? I'm going to kill you just like you killed them. And it's not going to be fun. It's going to be torture. Elijah was afraid, no duh, and ran for his life. When he, he's a human being, by the way. So here's this fear that's going on, right? He was afraid, and in that fear, he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, so he ran. Beersheba, he even left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he made himself even more alone and isolated himself. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. How many's ever prayed to prayer and said, Jesus, just take me home, right? Two or three of you that honest people, the rest of you are liars. Okay, that's fine. God's working on your heart. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So he was depressed. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some angel food cake over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. Boy, I'd like to have this food. He traveled 40 days. That'd be a great food for a diet, wouldn't it? I mean, just I'm going to eat for 40 days and I'll be fine. Yeah. So he, he went to the mount of God, Mount Horeb, and there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God knew, by the way. God wasn't trying to figure out what's going on here. He knew exactly what was going on. Elijah was depressed. He was suicidal. He was lonely. He was afraid. He was exhausted. And then here's, 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 uh, here's Elijah's response. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. Little old me. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go outside and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Hallelujah. Oh, that's a good time. When the Lord passes by, something good's got ready to happen. Through the mountains apart and, and, and tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now you would think, well, certainly there's God showing up. Because God, when he shows up, I mean, mountains start to crumble and things shaking. It's like, wow, ah, that's God. wait a minute the Lord wasn't there in that wind after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake you would think he would be but he's not after the earthquake came a fire well there's God right there he's in the fire surely but the Lord was not in the fire after and after the fire came a gentle whisper and I love the response of Elijah this gentle whisper because Elijah looked at the mountains he saw the wind he experienced the fire And Elijah went, no, 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 that's not God. I know because I have a relationship with God. I know because I've walked with him and he's walked with me over these years. I know who God is. I know his uh, personality. I I know the way he acts towards me. I, I know him. And so when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. You know what that means? I'm in God's presence. There's a holiness, there's a a reverence, there's a respect that's there. That's what he was doing at that point. He didn't do it in the earthquake, he didn't do it in the wind or the fire, but when that still small voice showed up, boy, I better get ready, because God is here. And then he went outside and stood at the mouth of the cave. You can continue to read the rest of the story, I won't go into it too much more, except that Elijah was given some assignments, and he went out and continued in ministry for God. But here's what I want to emphasize here this morning is that Elijah was afraid. How many's ever been afraid? Elijah was lonely. You ever felt lonely? Elijah was depressed and somewhat suicidal. How many's ever experienced depression and just said, Lord, take my life? Yeah. Elijah, at that point, from just running and from the battle, I mean, there's Ahab and Jezebel. He went back. And they were still alive. They were still looking for him. They were still out to get him. He was exhausted. And even Elijah had a little bit of a pity party going on. he's ever had a pity party. I can relate to one or more of these things in Elijah's experience, and I'm sure you can as well. And here's the beautiful thing about it, is that God made allowances for all of these things, because God knows that we are human beings, and he knew that Elijah was as well. He knows our frailties. He knows our weaknesses. Hebrews 4:15 and 16 says we don't have a high priest, speaking of Jesus by the way. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Then let us have grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let me ask you this, is this saying That Jesus experienced what fear was? Yeah. Did Jesus experience loneliness? Yes. Did he experience depression and suicidal thoughts? Yes. Did he experience exhaustion? Yes. Did he have a pity party every once in a while? Yeah. Really? Yes. Because it says that he experienced all those temptations. All the things that we experience. Isn't it good to know that we have the God of the universe who has come to live a life on this earth, a perfect life. It says that he experienced it, but he did not sin. In other words, he didn't give in to it. He experienced those emotions and those thoughts and those circumstances, but he kept his eyes on his Father and followed his direction. Jesus knows what you're feeling. Jesus knows what you're thinking. He knows your circumstances. He knows what you're there by his Holy Spirit to say, let me guide you through this difficult challenge in your life. I have a work for you. I have an assignment for you. Just like he did with Elijah, he has for us. I'm so thankful that Jesus knows how we feel, amen? I'm so thankful that he, he knows how we process things in our minds. He, he knows how circumstances get us confused and discouraged or anxious or whatever. His spirit helps steady us. His spirit helps redirect us. Just like we see here in this story with Elijah. Elijah gave God his reasons for wanting to quit. And we read how Elijah looked around and saw the wind swirling, the ground shaking, the fire blazing. God wasn't in any of those things. But there he was in the midst of all this turmoil and activity to be sure God was there. But he presented himself to Elijah in such a beautiful way, that still, small voice. I can so relate to that voices of my emotions and my thoughts and my circumstances are constantly trying to shove that still small voice out of the way. The still small voice is like driving my car of my life. And here's these these dudes in the back seat of fire and wind and earthquake, all of the stuff of life, my emotions and my thoughts and my circumstances. And they're constantly trying to jump over the back seat into the front seat and shove the Holy Spirit out and say, let me drive this thing for a while. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Problem is with that is if we allow that to happen, those things in our life will surely drive us over a cliff. And we need to be careful. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to let us drive and steer us and guide us because the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me. He guides us. And His Holy Spirit will not let us go off of a... But into green pastures and keep us in God's perfect will. Elijah was wise enough and steady enough and mature enough to recognize those other things that were going on were not of God. And they were simply trying to veer him off course. He knew God's voice. He recognized God's voice. The spirit man in him was mature enough to, and yielded enough to be in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, Elijah laid out his grievances to the Lord. And the Lord listened and gently responded. God gave Elijah strength in his weakness. And God will give you strength in your weakness today. God gave Elijah peace in his turmoil. And God will give you peace in your turmoil. God gave Elijah companionship in his loneliness. And God will give you companionship in your loneliness as well. God gave encouragement in your heart as well. And God gave direction in his ministry. And God will give direction in your ministry as well. Elijah was given mercy and grace in his time of need, just as we read in Hebrews where Jesus promised to do that as our high priest. And again, Elijah was not some exceptional superhuman saint. He was human, a human being just like you and me, with emotions and thoughts that brought him to all sorts of places in his journey of faith. And I'm so thankful that what God did for Elijah, he will do for us. Amen. We just need to set aside the loud and distracting noises of our emotions and our thoughts and our circumstances and tune into the frequency of the Holy Spirit's voice. So, how do you hear God's voice? How do you hear God's voice? Does God speak audibly? Some of you may say, I've never heard God's audible voice. Well, neither have I. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak. He speaks. God does speak, but most often it's in things like what we just read in Acts. Um, Paul had a dream, a vision of a man in Macedonia. You ever had a dream and you just knew it was something more than just the enchilada that you ate the night before? It's like something there. I know my dad shared a story many times where his, he don't remember his dreams, but there's one dream that he remembered, and it was really the Lord speaking to him about a particular thing that happened in his life. He shared that with me many times. You just know when you wake up, you don't really necessarily remember your dreams, but there's things sometimes you do remember, and that's really a, the Lord speaking to you. It's all right. Let the Lord speak to you through a dream or a vision. You just see it in your mind's eye. You don't have necessarily have to be asleep. you just see it. The Lord will just reveals stuff to you. That's, that's God speaking to you. You see? It's a supernatural thing. He speaks to our spirits in it's a spirit-to-spirit spirit sort of thing. You know what I'm talking about? where you just know that you know that you know. That's how he speaks to you. Sometimes conversations with godly people, the Lord will speak to you. That's why it's important for us to get together because iron sharpens iron. In our small groups, and our life together groups, it's so important to get together. In our fellowships times and the times when we get together, even just breaking bread at a restaurant or at our homes. Surround yourself with godly people who are wise and who have your best interest at heart. And As the conversations roll out, there's something that the Holy Spirit will just prompt in your heart. That's of God. And He's giving you direction. He's giving you guidance. Sometimes our past experiences or experiences of other people can many times help us. I know, as I just shared, our experience in Anderson was an important thing for us to apply to future things. Also, though, I would encourage you, don't necessarily learn from your mistakes. It's really kind of wise to learn from other people's mistakes, if you can. Right? And say, well, I don't want to do that. This way. That's why there's examples in the Bible, by the way, of stories where people have kind of fallen flat on their faces. It's not just that we can go, well, he deserved it. I would have never done that. Stuff like that. We actually read God's word because the Holy Spirit is there to help us to say, don't do that. Do this. This is the path that I have for you because that's the path of destruction, but here's the path of life. So it's a beautiful thing that as we read, as we read his written word because he'll also speak to us through his written word. How many of the Holy Spirit has ever spoke to you through as you're just reading the Bible sometimes, right? And it's not, see, by the way, the Bible is not something like a TV guide where you just read and say, I wonder what's on tonight, you know? The Bible is not just a a, a book that you read with interesting stories. It's our manual for life. It's our instruction guide. It's our true north. It's our light to our path, you know? It it guides us. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his written word. Many, many, many times I've experienced that. In our times of worshiping, Spirit. He guides us. There's countless examples of that in the Bible through times of worship and prayer as the Holy Spirit has spoken to these people. Go there. Say that. Wait here. I can think of so many examples in my life. I'm going to give you one, maybe two, very quickly. When I was living in San Jose, we were going to Bethel Church, and I remember Paul Farron was the music director there. I was 21 years old, and uh, he had been... uh, hired to work at PTL to be over the music department at PTL when PTL was going strong. And uh, I remember the Holy Spirit as a 21-year-old young man putting in my heart when I found out about that, that I needed to go and meet with this very imposingly large man to me at 21 years old, uh, booming voice, large man, and I was so uh, taken by him so much Uh, in my life and it was a little bit intimidating in fact no it was a lot intimidating but I knew that the Holy Spirit told me to go and have a meeting with him and so I set up an appointment in his office and I said brother Paul if uh, if when you get to PTL there's an opening for me I would sure like for you to consider me to to that position fast forward long story short he got there and just a couple months later uh, I got here And an opening came up, that I was able to come in and that was an open door for me to be able to experience really being here today. I could just see the dots connecting so clearly. Moving from San Jose, California to Charlotte, North Carolina at 21 years old to work at PTL. I'll never forget it, but I know, I know, I know, I know that it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me to step in into that place of obedience and do what I needed to do so that God could do what he could do. And one forward to when we were living in Rome, Georgia, and I was traveling at times to go to a ministry events while still pastoring a church there. And Rome, Georgia is about an hour out of outside of Atlanta. And so the closest airport was Atlanta. And so you have to kind of time it just right to go through Atlanta, you know, or else you're going to get stuck. And so I knew that, <laughs> and I got an amen back there's like, yes, amen, um, so I remember, though, there was one Thursday, I believe it was a Thursday, and I was coming from uh, where I needed at church I was, where we were working, and I, I had everything packed. I was ready to go. I was getting ready to, to go to the airport, and I baked in enough time for me to for traffic and all that to get there in time. So I, I, I but, but I felt such a prompting in my heart that I needed to go. I knew that Kelly and the boys were at a park, playing and playing and what have you riding bikes you name it just having a good time and i was headed out of town and usually i'm just heading out of town but that particular day the holy spirit stopped me and spoke to me and says you need to go to the park and i said but i gotta get to atlanta i don't want to miss that flight and he said it again you need to go to the park And I had a conversation with him several times. And finally, it was emphatic. Go to the park. And I went. And um, it may seem like a small thing, but when I went, it found out that Cameron had been riding his bike. He fell off of his bike and broke his arm. And I needed to be there to help in that situation with Kelly and whatever that looked like. I don't remember all the details of it, but I do remember this, is that if I hadn't obeyed, I'd have kept going to Atlanta, things probably would have been a little different in me not being able to help. But I just know this. See how practical that is? See how? It's just practical. It's not some massive, life-changing thing, but it's a daily sort of walk that we have with Him. And this was 2002, something like that maybe? And here I am 20-something years later, still remembering it as if it were yesterday the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And I'll even say this, that, and we'll be here 13 years into this month we've been pastoring. And it's a supernatural thing even in how the Holy Spirit worked it up for us to come here. It's a wonderful story. He opened up the door for us to pastor here. It was the Holy Spirit giving us instruction and guidance all along the way. And again, hindsight is twenty-twenty, but in the midst of it, it's a lot harder to figure out. We want to know, don't we? We want to figure this thing out. We want to see the end result. We want to see the finish line. We want to see the results of this thing. But that's walking in obedience. There's a place, church, of trusting God and of walking in obedience to Him that is key and allowing Him to guide you in your steps. Psalm 37, starting in verse 23, it says, The steps of a good and righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I like that because it's saying there that we're going to fall. We're going to mess up. It's not going to be perfect. Every once in a while we're going to step out and say, Well, I just want to do this. I just want to say this. I just want to go there, be that, whatever. Because we're stubborn, because we're selfish, because we're whatever. But the Holy Spirit is all along saying, If you'll just follow me, I will order your steps. If you'll just trust me, I will put you in those paths of righteousness for my name's sake. If you'll just be obedient, you can stay in my perfect. There's three things that I want us to look at. I want to help you with here this morning as we close out today. And I hope these are practical steps to help you in making your decisions in your life as the Holy Spirit guides you and helps you. The first one is this. Write this down. It's on the screen it says to clear out the underbrush. Clear out the underbrush. What do I mean by that? Well, the underbrush is our thoughts. And the underbrush is our emotions. And the underbrush is our circumstances. The underbrush is those, the wind and the fire and the earthquake. The, the underbrush is stuff. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Church, I know this for a fact, that we can convince ourselves of many things. We can justify our actions, that what we're saying and doing is what we need to do. Outward circumstances can make us think and feel things that are not in line with God's plan for our lives. And it can head us towards things that could be harmful for us and God's kingdom purposes for our life. And I'll just say that again because a lot of times we think that these decisions that we make have no ripple effect. They do. The decisions that we make in our lives affect not just you, but your family and God's kingdom. And we need to be careful that the first things that we need to understand is that we seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness and the decisions that we make need to be aligned with what God's will is for our lives, how it will impact God's kingdom for the good or for the bad. You see, Elijah wanted to die. Elijah was done. He had thrown in the towel. He was convinced of certain things because of his emotions and thinking and circumstances that had allowed him to take the wheel of his life. This is so common to man. And it's such a very dangerous the Holy Spirit is here to help us navigate through this minefield of emotions and thoughts and circumstances. I love Philippians 4, 7. It says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, in His Spirit. Not in man's philosophies, but in the things of Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. We can rest our minds and our hearts In Him, His peace will be our portion. I want you to remember something today, that peace is a fruit of the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can help you to clear out the underbrush of your fears and your depression, your confusion and loneliness and weariness. You know, the things of your heart and mind. And He can more clearly know the will of God in your life. You can know more clearly what God's will is as you, second thing, As you clear out the underbrush. The second thing that I want to encourage you today, I believe the Lord would have you to walk out, is to be patient with the process. Be patient with the process. You know, we want things to happen when we want them to happen, and how we want them to happen. We want them now. We want them our way, and usually we want it done quickly, and usually we want it done in our favor, don't we? Certainly. Lord, I hope this thing takes forever and it doesn't work out for me. You've never prayed that. Ever. But this is not an episode of your favorite TV show where the problem is presented, challenges are overcome, and things resolved, and a happy ending in a one-hour arc. Those are very uh, refreshing things to watch because we think, man, I wish life was that way, but this is not, we're not a one-hour drama on TV. This is real life, folks. And real life situations and a good stretch of time to resolve themselves, don't they? Yeah. God loves to, I don't like this about God, but he loves to squeeze every last bit of lessons that he can out of situations in our life, doesn't he? All of our struggles, all of our dilemmas, he places us in them so that he can show himself to be who he is and show the stuff in us that needs to go away. That hurts. I don't like it. But we need to embrace the fact that as his children, he has placed us in the struggle for whatever reason, but it's not to punish us, but it is to teach us. It's not to make us comfortable, but it's to stretch us. And it's not to keep us how we are, but it's to make us more like Jesus. I like to call them opportunities. I'm just going to go ahead and just label it in a positive way because if we label it in the way that we want to label it, I could think of some other words, but there are opportunities to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. How many wants to be more like Jesus and less like yourself? You see, God guides. His Holy Spirit guides us. His Holy Spirit blesses us. His Holy Spirit helps us. Yes, doors will open. Yes, seasons of blessings will come. Yes, breakthroughs will take place. Yes, victories will be celebrated. But in and around all of these wonderful times, there are tests, there is growth, there is stretching, and there is waiting. Galatians 6 9 says, Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, and that's God's time, not ours, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Church, don't give up. Life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. It's a journey with many legs, many seasons. Yeah, the there's going to be rest stops along the way. Thankful for the times of refreshing. Thankful for the place. You need to be patient in the process. And by the way, patience is another fruit of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we need it in abundance as He guides us in His paths of righteousness for His namesake. And here's the third thing that I want to encourage you with here today that we need to trust God. And walk in obedience to His direction. Trust God. And walk in obedience to His direction. Here's what I've learned in my life thus far. In my walk with the Lord. What He tells me to do doesn't have to make sense to me. You hear me? What He tells me to do. It didn't make sense to Philip. It didn't make sense to Abram. It doesn't make sense to me most of the time. How many can relate to that? Right? What He tells me to do. I don't have, it doesn't have to make sense. Here's the second thing. What He tells me to do. I don't even have to like it. I don't have to like it. I'm sure Abram didn't like it and the rest of his entourage didn't like it. We have to do what? You don't even know where we're going. And we're doing what? And here's Philip. All this stuff's happening. I have to do what? To a desert road? I mean, why can't you just place me in a little town somewhere? At least maybe, maybe there's a little McDonald's there or something. Anything. Any, a desert? That doesn't make sense. Talk about the contrasts. But they did it anyway. They did it anyway. They trusted God. They walked in obedience to his command. You don't have to like it. It doesn't have to make sense to you. But you do need to obey and trust God in this. When you know that 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 that you've heard God's voice. In the midst of your fear, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your depression. And in the midst of your weariness like Elijah was. In the middle of your routines and your responsibilities and your reputation. Just like it was for Abram. And in the middle of your excitement and your productivity and your blessing, just like Philip, then step out into what God has told you to do. And by the way, don't take any more steps, but don't take any less steps than he's called. Favorite scriptures, in fact, it's my life scriptures. This Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will guide and direct your paths. Trust him. Because God knows the end from the beginning of your life. Obey him. He knows what's best not only for you, but as I said a moment ago, he knows what's best for God's kingdom purposes through you. That you must be clear and that you understand that and then clear out that underbrush. Those voices that aren't of God that will lead you into a place that's not enjoyable and it will diminish your impact for God's kingdom. Be wise, be careful, be spirit-led be wise, be careful, be spirit-led. Let Him guide you. You know, I believe there's a lot of people, maybe some people here today, maybe a few, maybe just one, I don't know, that are facing an important decision in your life. The Holy Spirit is here. And I'd like to invite you to come to this altar here today. And uh, let's do some business before God, okay? Would you all stand with me this morning? And I want to pray with you and I want to pray over you. And if you will, I'd love for you to bow your heads everybody just close your eyes and there's something about coming to the altar that is powerful and just coming to lay those things at the feet of Christ do you have a decision you need to make today? do you need the Holy Spirit to guide you? as I'm speaking I ask you to just come on down and let's just pray together just come on out just step on out